Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Health Coach Lou, and you're listening to the Smart Talk Podcast. You're going to hear specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and right-on-time health and wellness conversations. Enjoy! Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Smart Talk Podcast. I got a special guest in the building today, um, clinical nutritionist, tr- no, clinical nutritionist, Carrie Verdi. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank, thanks for um, chopping them up with me today. And I'm really excited to um, w- about our conversation, w- our topic today, because I know you have a lot of expertise um, being a clinical nutritionist. Um, but I really want to start, you know, with the beginning of your journey. You know, what got you, uh, where did you start and where, how'd you get to becoming, you know, so um, passionate about nutrition? Well, really, it was through my own personal health challenges that I developed um, a passion for nutrition along with uh, integrative health and wellness. Uh, earlier in life, I thought that I had an interest in nutrition, but it was really more along the lines of being skinny and appearing thin. Um, I was actually a chubby kid from about third grade to seventh grade um, before I took matters into my own hands. And I can even remember my mom taking me to the Sears department store because they had a a plus size department. Um, So that was hard. But eventually I went the opposite extreme and I did everything wrong, including over-exercising and under-eating. And then in my undergraduate college years, you know, athletic performance really became important to me. Um, And at the time, I didn't realize it that um, eating chicken, broccoli and low quality whey protein shakes and bars all day wasn't really the best route to health. Um, Vitamins and supplements were on my radar uh, from reading the latest fitness and bodybuilding magazines, but not really their proper use. Um, Throughout college and and moving forward, I was actually in the army for a while as an officer. Uh, I ran your six miles a day. That was kind of the standard. Um, no big deal. And it was after the <laughs> army, I started longer distances, <laughs> you know, half marathons, you know, my first marathon. Um, after that is when everything really started going downhill. Um, I was under a lot of stress at the time with work and, and family matters. Um, and after uh, the first mar- full marathon that I did, um, strange things started happening. Like a week later, I got hives on my lower legs and the hives never went away. It was from my knees down to my ankles, went through all types of tests. Um, a little while later, I did a half marathon and this time the hives were all over my body. Again, wow. went through different tests, different doctors. Um, And did a lot of personal research and I found out about food sensitivities, nutritional deficiencies, toxicity, um, adrenal health and HPA axis or hypothalamus, pituitary adrenal axis dysfunction, um, intestinal permeability and just the general impact of stress. Uh, So then with this new knowledge, I became frustrated um, with the lack of awareness out there in the mainstream healthcare system, as well as today's typical food quality that we see. Um, I think there's a certain place for, you know, conventional medicine and and, um, immediate uh, injury and need, um, but not so much at getting to the root cause of what is going on with the person. So I realized that there was no one size fits all solution 
and that needed to be eliminated. And I sought out a more functional, um, integrative, um, personalized uh, form of nutrition and health. And that's kind of what got me started on the journey. Right. That That's an awesome story. So it almost started off as a way of like, first thinking that you were actually doing the right things, you know, taking the protein shakes, that that's, that's a healthy, you know, protein source, you know, people first starting out and then, you know, realizing with the amount of stress, stress you're putting on your body, um, there's a little more to it than, you know, eating the protein bars and, and the shakes and chicken and rice all the time. Right, right. And I wasn't focused on organic back then. That that didn't mean anything to me at the time. And that's what they were doing in all of the magazines. Um, didn't realize right. that it's not good to eat the same thing every single day, day in and out for a variety of reasons, not only um, nutrient resources, limiting your nutrients, but also um, the probability of developing sensitivities and uh, other other concerns with the foods. Right, right. So um, I know you you work with a lot of patients um, with chronic disease, and you have a lot of knowledge that you're going to be giving us today about uh, the ketogenic diet. So you know, my my first question for you is. Um, with the ketogenic diet, you know, what, what chronic diseases or patients do you recommend, you know, try out keto? Um, the first thing that I always ask before I put someone on keto would be, and especially if they're wanting to go on keto, why is this person going on keto? Because it makes a difference if it's for weight loss or a metabolic disease, such as insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, compared to someone who has a neurodegenerative condition um, or cancer. Um, in a nutshell, the keto approach done correctly is meant to lower inflammation, reduce excess body fat, and then enhance uh, energy production as well as uh, increase insulin sensitivity. Uh, the largest population that I see on a regular basis, it's usually for weight loss, um, insulin resistance, and diabetes. But uh, keto is great for a number of different uh, concerns. Um, again, going back to the metabolic diseases, meaning insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, um, diabetes, uh, even type 1 diabetes where they're not producing enough insulin and they're using an external form of insulin, keto can help them lower that external insulin required and then make uh, their glucose and their A1C levels more stable as examples. But it's also used in cardiovascular disease, um, really chronic exposure to high circulating insulin levels is very damaging to the blood vessels. So keto is great at decreasing the insulin and blood sugar, along with uh, triglycerides, increasing uh, HDL, known as your good cholesterol, uh, decreasing uh, the small, dense LDL particles. Um, because when we look at LDL, which people often refer to as the bad cholesterol, there's different particle sizes. There are large fluffy particles, kind of view them like beach balls. And then there's small dense particles. And you can kind of view those as mar marbles. Um, the small dense ones are much more damaging than the large fluffy ones. Um, it can also be good for hypertension or high blood pressure. There's a correlation between high insulin and high blood pressure. Um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's very um, beneficial there. And then uh, in certain cancers, 
many type of cancers have a metabolic dysregulation to them. Um, Most, but not all, cancer cells use sugar for fuel. Uh, There's a metabolic theory of cancer that circles around mitochondrial dysfunction. That's the, the powerhouse that produces your ATP or energy within the cell. And reducing glucose can help in killing the cell uh, that's associated with the cancer. Um, The main ketone, you know, we talk about the different ketones. There's basically three. The main one, beta-hydroxybutyrate, serves as a signaling molecule, not just as fuel, that impacts genes and other inflammatory markers in the body. Uh, Another category would be neurodegenerative disorders. Uh, They seem to have a common theme, and that's impaired brain glucose or brain sugar metabolism, uh, ATP or energy production, increased oxidative stress and inflammation. uh, And this can be applied to uh, different conditions like epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, traumatic brain injury. A lot of research is going into that when we see uh, soldiers or athletes with traumatic brain injury, um, ALS, even migraines, uh, autism, mood disorders. So there's a wide range uh, that we're applying now that the ketogenic approach to and more research is continuing with some of those areas. Wow. So, I mean, there, there's a lot. I mean, there, there's a lot that, you know, done correctly, uh, ketogenic can be very effective and it can be, you know, it's very, it seems like it's very, a very promising, promising way of, way of eating. But, you know, as, as I know, uh, as you know, Carrie, that some people um, with all, with good intentions, for some reason t- seem to get keto wrong a lot, you, you know, like, yeah. so, so, um, if you can kind of just, just break it down. I, I know we, you kind of talked about before, you know, kickstarting with, with fasting, kind of break down an approach for somebody who's interested in, in starting the keto diet for, you know, reducing their diabetes or, you know, a number of those chronic diseases and illnesses that you, um, just talked about, um, how do they start? You know, where, where do we start with them? Well, with the classic ketogenic approach in a hospital setting for epilepsy, for instance, they will start the person off with a really hardcore fast, but they are medically supervised. Um, We do something a little lighter, more like intermittent fasting. Um, Intermittent fasting and keto really go hand in hand, and it does help to kickstart the ketosis process. Uh, the body has to burn through its glycogen reserves or stored carbohydrates before the keto adaptation can occur. Um, intermittent fasting helps the body become more sensitive, sensitive to insulin, helps prevent weight gain, and also helps uh, the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Uh, so in a perfect world, um, we do intermittent fasting in the evening, which is contrary what, to what many believe. Um, most of the time, you know, the recommendation, and I recommend this as well, is to delay the first meal of the day by several hours uh, so that it could be around maybe 11 a.m. Or, or 12 noon, depending on when the person wakes up. Um, the ideal situation would be in the evening 
because research has shown that people eating the exact same foods with the same calories during the first half of the day versus the second half of the day can lose two times as much weight. Um, breakfast has two times the amount of diet-induced thermogenesis as dinner. And that's the amount of energy the body takes to digest and process a meal. Uh, so it actually uses 50% more calories to digest food in the morning instead of the evening. And also the body's more insulin sensitive in the morning. So this means that you have a higher blood sugar spike in the evening for the exact same meal. Now, in reality, and for wow. practical application, it's hard to fast in the evening. Um, you know, I, I have difficulty with it as well. So I recommend delaying the first meal for a few hours and possibly pushing up dinner by a couple hours with no snacks afterwards, having a strict uh, cutoff time for eating at night, um, a minimum of three to four hours before bed. And this really helps prime the body to uh, get into the mode uh, to become fat adapted, uh, as you hear that term thrown out loosely. Um, just a few other benefits of fasting uh, that we see are increases in the human growth hormone that helps with fat burning and muscle gain, um, cellular repair in the body, improvements to gene expression, uh, reduction in oxidative stress and inflammation, and then improvement in different heart health markers like blood pressure, cholesterol, triglycerides, um, glucose, and inflammatory markers. And then it's good for brain health as well and may, may increase longevity. Uh, but generally speaking, just to get through those glycogen reserves and help prime the body, intermittent fasting is a wonderful tool uh, that goes hand in hand with, with keto. Nice, nice. So, so that's great. So the, the intermittent fasting, you know, is, is a great, great tool. And I, I also wanted to, wanted to bring up as well, you know, going, going along with that, you know, saying that person uh, who's going on a journey of trying to get keto right, right. And um, when they're beginning, um, I don't know if you do this with a lot of your patients, but with my patients, with, with any diet that I'm recommending or they want to try, um, we we're typically counting calories or, or counting something. And I know it, especially with those who are advocates for keto, um, people are on one of either side, either counting net carbs or total carbs. Right. So um, what should someone count? You know, should they, well, should they count their net carbs? Should they count their total carbs? What does that look like? First of all, net carbs are really an industry-driven term, and they're not found on nutrition labels, but they're displayed on product packaging for marketing to low-carb consumers. Mm -hmm. So those that aren't familiar with the term, net carbs are the total carbs minus the fiber and the sugar alcohol. Um, the concept really is to provide a gram count of carbohydrates that increase blood sugar and insulin. So we assume that fiber and sugar alcohols don't have any metabolic or hormonal aspects since the body can't completely digest them. But some fibers and sugar alcohols are still partially digested, uh, meaning absorbed. So they could raise blood sugar slightly and insulin in some people, just not as much. So when we're using uh, the ketogenic diet in a therapeutic manner for things like epilepsy, um, neurodegeneration, or cancer, uh, total carbs is are much better for accuracy purposes. 
Uh, now, if weight loss is a goal, it may not be quite as important, and net carbs could be used. Uh, I don't normally advise that the person measure ketones for weight loss, um, but if the person is consuming a lot of sugar alcohol, um, it could be beneficial to kind of see if that's derailing their progress. Um, Generally speaking, the more insulin resistant a person is, the lower the carbohydrates need to be. Uh, so we could see an insulin sensitive athlete being ketosis with well over 50 grams of carbohydrates, but then a type two diabetic may need to be lower on the spectrum, closer to 20, right. 20 to 30 grams. Um, so it's actually interesting because there are studies that show both low fat and low carbohydrate diets can produce weight loss, but the differentiating factor between the two is the level of insulin resistance. Um, and, and then, of course, insulin resistance means that the cells can no longer properly absorb glucose to use for energy, and that often leads to prediabetes. Um, what a lot of people don't know, in the United States, one out of three people have prediabetes, and most of them don't even know it. So that's kind of um, a sad statistic. Um, unfortunately, very few doctors are checking the fasting free insulin levels. So a person could have normal blood sugar, but also dysregulated insulin levels. Um, hmm. Insulin basically stops fat breakdown. So if a person can't lose weight um, and insulin is high, think of things like artificial sweeteners, you know, you think, Oh, it's sugar-free. I can have that, but you can still get that insulin spike with certain artificial sweeteners. Uh, it's, it's really, right. uh, the insulin response that makes a person diabetic or have metabolic issues, not the glucose response. Um, elevated blood sugar is more of a symptom, not the cause, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. People have to be really careful about, especially about what you said, because, um, you know, being insulin resistant, I mean, like there, there, there are no symptoms. So you got to be, be mindful of what you're eating and what your, what your intake is and understand that just because it says sugar-free, does that really mean it's sugar-free? Exactly. Exactly. Because we're not accounting for that hormonal aspect of it. Um, have you no. ever heard of something called um, the HOMAR homeostatic model, model assessment of insulin resistance? No. But I'm curious to learn yeah. more. It's a formula um, that um, divides glucose by insulin and, and multiplies it by a certain number. It's actually 405, and it gives a range. If a score is less than one, that person has optimal insulin sensitivity. Uh, if it's greater than 1.9, they have early insulin resistance. And if it's over 2.9, significant insulin resistance. But the key is we, we need to know what their free fasting insulin level is. Right. So so that may take someone going into their physician, getting maybe like a physical or getting some blood work done to kind of understand where their levels are so they can get that test and kind of see where they're at with their resistance. Exactly. Exactly. And requesting uh, to see what their fasting insulin levels are. Yeah. I know we gotten off track here um with the net carbs but um it, it plays a role okay. <laughs> in uh you know the therapeutic uh, methods versus um simple weight loss right so you know th there's we we've went through a lot of the good you know with, with keto um and on the other hand there are people that you know 
there could be some they want to know the bag you know what what could go wrong what what are some of the things that you you know you see people doing or what you know what are some of the mistakes you see with with keto that can turn it from a good uh recommendation or a good strategy um to a, a bad one um, one of the top mistakes I see is too much protein uh, consumption because keto isn't a high protein diet, which is a, a misbelief that's out there. It's a moderate protein right. diet. Certain amino acids get converted into glucose through the process called gluconeogenesis. Uh, so the body can only hold on to so much protein. There's really no storage mechanism like there are for carbs and fat. Um, in fact, if a person has too many carbs, their glycogen stores are full. And then guess what happens? Uh, the body converts it to triglycerides and then it gets stored as fat. Um, you could even see a situation if a person had too much protein in an evening meal and they check their glucose in the morning and they're on keto and they have a high glucose level, it, it could be uh, that that excess protein has converted uh, to glucose. Um, another concern I see is consuming too little fat. Um, in order to be in a ketogenic state, um, we could have a fat level anywhere really from 65% to 85% for the body to be able to produce those ketones and, and promote body fat burning. Uh, a lot of the published research we see out there on high fat diets, they're only using 40 to 60% fat. And this doesn't really tell us a lot of what happens in nutritional ketosis because they're not truly in ketosis. Uh, kind of on the flip hmm. side, I'll see um, certain populations eating too much fat. So yes, you can actually gain weight on keto if you're consuming too much fat or really too much of anything. So calories do matter. I don't believe in the calories in calories out model because it doesn't account for metabolism, the whole hormonal cascade. Uh, but right. uh, of course, anything in excess can lead to weight gain. So I encourage um, people to stay away from fat bombs uh, later down the road. I'm okay with them for an occasional treat, but in the beginning, they're simply adding calories and kind of continuing that sweet craving cycle. Uh, I see a lot of uh, people making, remaking their junk food diet uh, into a keto diet. And it's uh, it can be done in a better way, just keeping it to simple whole foods uh, to stay on track. Um, also eating poor sources of fat, which cause inflammation and inhibit weight loss are concerns. So uh, referring to vegetable oil, there's really no such thing because if you think about it, corn oil is a grain, you know, soybean oil is a, a legume. Basically, uh, I like to stick mm -hmm. to uh, extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil in moderation, um, maybe a little ghee or healthy animal fats, salmon or salmon, well-sourced beef. Uh, too many carbs is another concern. Um, I would say carb tolerance varies greatly among individuals. Uh, some people need to limit their grams to 20 per day. And like I mentioned earlier, others can maintain ketosis at a, a substantially higher level. Uh, so those with metabolic issues really need to stay on the lower side. And again, the more insulin resistant a person is, the more difficult it will be to get into ketosis. So the lower their carbs need to be. And a lot of times hidden sources of carbs are being consumed in the forms of gummy vitamins, uh, tomato products, marinara, ketchup, salad dressing, even carrots. Uh, so I always advise to stick with the non-starchy vegetables, you know, the cucumbers, broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus, uh, leafy greens. 
Uh, I even try to cut out um, berries during the initial phases just to help the keto adaptation process. Uh, and another key area are nuts. It's so easy to overdo nuts. Um, nuts still do have carbohydrates, so moderation is key there. Uh, dairy is another uh, area that I see uh, kind of getting out of hand. I usually cut out all dairy in the beginning, including whey. Uh, it's inflammatory for some people, and it is one of the top allergens and food sensitivities. So I like to use the initial break from dairy as an opportunity to heal the digestive system, as well as to check their tolerance when we add it back in in a very specific way, uh, making sure the person didn't have a hidden dairy sensitivity uh, that could inhibit their weight loss and cause inflammation in their body. Um, kind of an interesting tidbit. Did you know that being lactose tolerant is norm? I'm sorry, being lactose tolerant is a genetic mutation and those that are lactose intolerant are the normal people and adults. So I'm abnormal. So, yeah. So if you're lactose tolerant, if you're lactose really? tolerant, that is actually a genetic mutation in adulthood. Um, somewhere along the line, uh, this mutation occurred. So the adults that are not lactose tolerant are the so-called normal ones. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Most people don't know that. <laughs> um, it's also interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Dairy can have, there's um, certain amino acids that can cause insulin to spike in independence of a glucose spike. So if someone already has high insulin, it can be a problem. Again, it's individual specific. And then dairy is also a combination food. It has protein, carbs, and fats. So we definitely want to stay away from milk products specifically. And then when the dairy is added back in, I like to treat it more as a condiment. So if you're having cheese, for instance, it shouldn't be the main course of the meal. Um, it should be more of a sprinkle, more of a condiment. Uh, right. Another fact where people get derailed is eating too often because every time we eat, insulin rises unless we're eating pure fat. So if we're eating every two to three hours, we're constantly raising our insulin levels. And then if insulin is high, it stops fat breakdown or weight loss and inhibits ketosis. Um, the other problem with frequent eating kind of off track a little bit is something called the motor migration contraction. It's called the MMC. It's an electrical magnetic, or I'm sorry, electrical mechanical activity uh, between meals that sweeps the GI tract clean every two to three hours. It's kind of housekeeping that prevents bacterial overgrowth due to stagnant food. Um, and when we're eating constantly, this doesn't occur. So we've heard of the increased cases of SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. One of the contributing factors could be constant eating. Uh, other, other folks I see uh, get caught up in uh, carb counting and they really forget about food quality. Um, sometimes right. people are afraid of vegetables because of carbs. So you don't have to stick to just lettuce and spinach. Uh, cruciferous vegetables are perfectly fine on keto. Uh, I see a lot of people doing more of a dirty keto, keto version using um, processed low-carb foods that have additives and lack micronutrients and antioxidants. 
Uh, instead of eating like grass fed steaks, they'll have, you know, a double bacon cheeseburger minus the bun. Uh, I really like to right. focus on clean meats, free range, organic eggs, you know, wild caught fatty fish, you know, for vegans, maybe a pea based protein, um, organic vegetables. I always refer people to the environmental working group to check out the dirty dozen and clean 15, um, healthy fats like avocado and olive oil. And then, you know, the dirty keto version creates an acidic environment that causes inflammation and really inhibits the weight loss, forcing the body to hold on to those fat stores. Um, another key area where someone may be a little bit derailed uh, is stress. If someone's under a high area of, or high level of stress, adapting to keto is an additional form of stress and it can increase hormones like epinephrine and cortisol, um, which increase the liver's glucose output. So even indirect stressors like poor sleep uh, can play, play a role in that area. Um, some people continue their current exercise program. If they're doing an intense exercise program, um, it's recommended to really dial that back in until keto adapted. Um, they can really struggle in that area. Uh, and then not consuming another water or enough water is another concern. At a minimum, I always advise at least drinking a half of your body weight in ounces. So, you know, if you weigh 150 pounds, at a minimum, drinking 75 ounces of water um, because you, you need more water than usual. Um, when insulin levels drop, water's lost. And then plus for every gram of stored glycogen that's your store carbohydrates, the body is going to hold on to three to four grams of water. Uh, so when you cut out those carbs, you know, you're going to lose that, that water weight and the water is needed to flush out toxins, you know, circulate nutrients, help burn fat. And then the body holds on to toxins within the fat stores for protection. And when those fat stores start to, you know, be released, the toxins are as well. So water is essential for that. Um, and then, you know, just in general, not replenishing electrolytes because when that water's lost, the electrolytes are flushed out with it. So there's a pretty significant loss of electrolytes that can cause some, some pain. <laughs> right. So that, that kind of leads to my, my next question a little bit, Carrie. Um, uh -huh. You know, pot potassium, sodium, and, and magnesium. You know, what role uh, do those play in, in the keto diet? Well, you know, those are our prime electrolytes and low electrolytes are the top reason for the keto flu that we hear many talk about. Um, they're electrically charged ions, so they play an important function in the body, everything from movement to heartbeats to blood pressure. Um, you know, salt is a concern or sodium when a person's no longer eating, you know, the standard American diet, it's necessary to consume additional salts, uh, preferably unrefined. Um Insulin actually stimulates sodium reabsorption. So that means when insulin levels are low, the body is going to lose sodium. And then, as I mentioned, for every gram of glycogen we store, the body is going to hold on to three to four grams of water. And that's why so much water weight is lost early on. But when the water is flushed out, again, the minerals go with it. Um, now, for magnesium, already the majority of the population is magnesium deficient. So it's an area that needs to be addressed uh, just from the start. Uh, I always right. want, you know, 
every every client or patient to be on a magnesium supplement when doing keto. Um, it's the fourth most abundant mineral in the body, and it's involved in over 300 different processes. So super, super important. You know, they can get it from food sources like dark green vegetables, nuts and seeds, um, you know, non-processed meats, homemade broth, but uh, typically a supplement's necessary. Now, potassium, on the other hand, I don't recommend a supplement per se uh, in a standalone form. I do recommend getting potassium from foods, you know, vegetables and homemade broths. Um, Avocados actually have more potassium than bananas do. Uh, Nuts and seeds. Um, if the lost sodium isn't replaced, it actually triggers an adrenal response that increases a hormone called aldosterone. And that plays a role in maintaining blood pressure in the body. Uh, but at the same time, it causes an increased loss of potassium. Uh, so it is important to get the potassium in from food sources. Um, a person could take um, a combination electrolyte powder, uh, as long as it doesn't have, um, you know, any blood sugar raising components to it. Uh, there are some good liquid um, electrolyte supplements out there as well. Nice. So you, there's there's some options for you know supplementation, but there are some there are also some food choices um, like for for potassium if if you need to. Yes, food food is always my first go to, right. no matter. What. Food has to be first. And then, then a supplement is just that. It's a supplement, um, which nowadays is necessary for most people. Um, but I like to think of it more as an insurance policy. I never want someone to depend depend on getting their nutrients from a supplement. Right. So, so Carrie, you know, with, with the, the, the keto being kind of, you know, kind of a high fat um, way of eating, high fat diet. Um, some people do have concerns with uh, increased cholesterol. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? That is that a myth? Is that is that a valid concern? What what are your thoughts on uh, the co- increased cholesterol with the keto diet? I had mentioned um, LDL, you know, often referred to as the bad cholesterol uh, yep. particle size earlier. Um, the keto approach. Um, results in most cases in larger LDL particles, which are thought to be less of a risk factor for heart disease. So we have the small, the small ones, small dense ones, think of as marbles and the large fluffy ones that we can think of as beach balls. Um, keto typically increases the the large fluffy ones, uh, an increase in cholesterol and LDL may also be a temporary effect due to rapid weight loss because cholesterol increases from fat cell release uh, during significant weight or fat loss, and it takes some time for the body to clear. So it's somewhat transitory in nature like that. Uh, and then also when we see LDL increase, it's usually in proportion with an increase in the HDL, the good cholesterol. Uh, so that's not so much of a concern. Now, the fat content of the diet could be altered to emphasize slightly less saturated fat and more monounsaturated fat, uh, especially in those that uh, do see a large rise in the LDL, and especially for those that have the APOE4 gene. I'm sure you've heard of that um, associated with Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, but for them, they can still, you know, go with the keto approach. They just need to shift their, their fat types, shift to more monounsaturated versus saturated fat. So a little less of the coconut oil 
And then just in general, keto is great at decreasing triglycerides, increasing HDL, and uh, decreasing the small, dense LDL particles. Right. So so nothing to worry about as long as you're getting the um, appropriate fat sources and, and maybe having to manipulate them a little bit to uh, your calorie intake and, you know, maybe eating less of coconut oil and things like that nature. But it's overall it sounds yeah. like it is more yeah, of a benefit than, than anything. And, and I always advise, you know, you know a, a good lab work should be done before starting. That includes fasting mm-hmm. insulin, like we mentioned, um, A1C, which is a, a three-month average of blood glucose, um, a lipid panel, you know, a thyroid panel, the basics, vitamin D, uh, red blood cell, magnesium, uh, just to uh, make sure that uh, things are on track. Great. And so the last question that I have for you is, is kind of a gross one. <laughs> Constipation. <laughs> now I've, um, I not, I have not heard any of my patients, you know, complaining about this, but I do know that is, that it is out there, you know, based just, just researching the ketogenic diet. Um, this is something that people have dealt with or, or weren't wondering about, you know, what, what's the deal with constipation and the keto diet? <laughs> Well, some people believe that the keto diet leads to increased constipation, but in a well-formulated plan, um, a level of lower fiber is usually okay, even around 10 to 15 grams a day. Uh, First of all, fiber helps to slow down glucose absorption, but we already have lower glucose, so we can kind of check that that block. Uh, Fiber helps to promote the feelings of fullness, but so do ketones because there's already you know, that de- decreased glucose, insulin, and hunger, um, ketones increase leptin signaling to the brain. And remember, leptin is that satiety hormone, and it's likely due to the decrease in inflammation from keto. So a lot of leptin-resistant people, uh, you know, they don't get that satiation signal, um, but in ketosis, they do. Uh, ketones also suppress ghrelin, that's the hunger hormone. And they increase another Mm -hmm. hormone called CCK or cholecystokinin um, after you eat to feel, you know, satisfied. So we can, you know, check the hunger box. Now, uh, inside of the gut, bacteria in the form of fiber produce short chain fatty acids, mostly butyrate um, that serve as fuel for the intestinal cells. But ketones themselves are a form of short chain fatty acids and they function like butyrate to feed some of those intestinal cells. So, you know, we normally depend on fiber for this as well. Um, So it's something that a lot of people don't realize is, you know, since ketosis does cause an increase in sodium or I'm sorry, an increased loss of sodium and fluid. And if this isn't replaced, uh, the body actually pulls salt and water from the colon, and that results in hard stools and constipation. Um, so if the person does have constipation issues, I always recommend drinking a salted broth uh, or adding some sea salt to their food. Um, even, you know, mixing maybe eight ounces of water with a fourth of a teaspoon of baking soda, a fourth of a teaspoon of sea salt, and a half of a lemon or lime. Um, that's really good, and that's also good for the keto flu. So uh, including, including fiber does help maybe a few servings of non-starchy vegetables or a few ounces of nuts and seeds. But, you know, if they really had an, 
a serious problem, they could add some psyllium husk, fiber, maybe cinna tea, liquid aloe vera juice, you know, certain forms of magnesium, like magnesium citrate and uh, probiotics can help too. But a lot of times um, it's that increased loss of sodium and fluid and then the sodium and fluid not being replaced that uh, results in the hard stool. Right. So, so have, just having, just, I mean, and I can only imagine, you know, you're taking your body, you know, I'm assuming somebody that, you know, uh, a heavy carb diet at, at one point, and then now they're drastically changing the way they're, they're eating, you know, so yeah. your body has needs some time to adjust to that. And, you know, drinking some more water, you know, maybe even like, like you said, you know, adding, eating some, you know, lower fiber instead of, you no know, maybe, maybe higher fiber carbs that like you were, um, doing some of those things kind of help, help ease that. Exactly. And, you know, right off the bat, they're not necessarily going to have those satiation feelings, you know, feeling satisfied. It takes a while to adapt, but once the adapt adaptation occurs, um, you know, these things start to benefit the body. Absolutely. Well, Carrie, thank you so much. I've learned a lot more about the keto than I ever have thought I know about the ketogenic diet. So I thank you so much for the knowledge you gave us today. Um, and it's going to help a lot of people. Um, I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been fun. Yeah. So what I typically do, you know, at, at the end of every podcast is I ask the guest to give the viewers um, a SMART goal. So a SMART goal is a specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time goal. Um, but, you know, just just something that the people can take away. So what's, what's the goal that you want to give to the people that they can apply to their life in the next week? You know, if I had to choose one thing, I would say deep breathing. I think everyone should practice intentional deep breathing on a daily basis. Starting out the day with five to 10 minutes of deep breathing in the morning, uh, followed by at least one minute um, before consuming a meal. Uh, what it does, it helps shift the body into a parasympathetic state known as the rest and digest state uh, versus sympathetic known as fight or flight. And this better allows us to absorb and really assimilate our food. Uh, it lowers the heart rate, blood pressure, and improves heart rate variability. Um, just so many, so many good things. You know, and there are so many apps out there that are free that can be used now and different online tools that can walk a person through, you know, one minute to, you know, up to an hour of deep breathing. So I highly recommend deep breathing. Yes. And I like that. That's a great goal. And I like how you said intentional deep breathing, like going into it with the intention of, of calming yourself or relaxing yourself, not just sitting in a dark room breathing, like just being, being intentional about what you're trying to accomplish. Yes. Yes. And even when it comes to eating, I see a lot of uh, weight loss patients or clients and uh, it implements a mindful aspect, um, whether it's in regard to eating or just going throughout the day. Great. Well, Carrie, um, where can the people find you at on social media if they want to reach out to you? I, if they look up and do a search for Carrie Verde, just C-A-R-I and then V-E-R-D-E, 
Uh, I'm on Instagram and I'm at um, Atlantis Medical Wellness Clinic as well. Um, my Instagram handle is actually Carrie and then it's two underscores Verdi. Awesome. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you so much for the knowledge you gave us today. I, I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Smart Talk podcast. I will see you next time. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>